This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Education Matters, the final episode of Season 3. I'm Katie Olmstead, and throughout this season of the podcast, we have brought you so many different educators' voices on so many different topics. Everything from controversial bills making their way through the State House to the impact of the State House failing to implement a constitutional funding system for 26 years. Not to mention the voices of members who are running to represent their communities in the State House and the work that is being done and all of the work that still needs to be done to improve representation in our classrooms. And that's just a few of the things we've talked about in the last 40 weeks. But honestly, Every single topic we've touched on leads back to one fundamental truth. As educators across the state have been saying, public education matters. Public education matters to me because I want my students to be inspired like I was inspired by my elementary teachers and I want them to see the capabilities they have. Public education matters because it's the cornerstone of our democracy. It means bringing all of our students together from diverse backgrounds to learn how to work together and cooperate with, with all kinds of different people. 90% of Ohio students attend public school. I'm Shelley Allman, high school counselor at Liberty Center Local Schools, and I support public education because I want to work in an environment where every kid has equal access to the support they need for a great future. Those are just a small sampling of the hundreds of Ohio Education Association members who have been adding their voices to the growing Public Education Matters initiative. And there's one more voice I want you to hear from in that. Ohio Education Association President Scott DeMauro. Scott DeMauro, OEA President, thank you so much for sitting down with us as the 2022-2023 school year is now in the books. Let's start by taking a look back. We have so much looking forward, but let's start by looking back at this past school year. What were some of the big challenges, some of the big victories? What were the takeaways? Yeah, thanks, Katie. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, it is crazy to think that this school year is over already. Uh, It seems like it just started. In fact, it just seems like yesterday uh, that we were walking the picket line with our uh, fellow members from Columbus uh, as they were waging an extremely successful three-day strike back in August. Uh, that's how the year was beginning with union members standing up for their rights and for uh, the quality schools that students deserve. Uh, we saw throughout the year other examples of our members standing up in solidarity and winning some important victories at the collective bargaining table. But we also know that this was a year that was filled with many challenges. And, you know, this is probably what we could consider the first true post-COVID year. And it started off with a reminder that uh, we're facing some real challenges when it comes to filling uh, the roles, you know, filling the jobs for uh, educators across the state. We've got a growing educator shortage crisis. We've been working on that issue, uh, trying to to get strategies in place to get more people to consider education as a career, but especially to deal with the challenging working conditions that uh, are causing many, many people just to feel stressed out and think about leaving for other professions. So, so in thinking about this year, it was a mix of highs and lows. 
Uh, it was an opportunity to, to really get back on track in a lot of ways, but working with students who have a lot of challenges and have a lot of needs, uh, the mental health and behavior issues are something that, that we've been hearing about all throughout the year. We've got school districts that, um, that have some resources, but that still don't have all the resources that they need to meet the needs of all of their students. And so uh, continuing to engage in, in uh, a campaign with the state legislature and at the local level to make sure that we have resources in place, but also to just get grounded in the need for respect for educators. Um, all of this stuff that's happening in Ohio uh, is happening you know, in this context of a national organized campaign against public education that is happening uh, in Ohio and, and in states across the country. And, and uh, in my 32 years as an educator, I have never seen uh, a more serious threat to the basic foundational principles of public education than we're seeing right now. What does that look like here in Ohio as we're seeing these threats to public education? Well, it's interesting to kind of think about how uh, attacks against public education have evolved. Um, you know, throughout my career, you know, I've I've seen firsthand uh, politicians who have used primarily uh, the threat of standardized testing and then linking teacher evaluation and and resources and accountability uh, to test scores as a way to undercut confidence in public education and to really suck the joy out of teaching and learning. And, and that's something that that I think has been an ongoing problem uh, in our system. But with in parentheses, of course, the fact that private schools are not held to the same accountability standards for standardized tests, but that's that's a whole nother story. Exactly. I mean, that's and it, and it really puts a spotlight on the on the problems with the system and how, you know, anti-public education politicians and the wealthy corporate interests who are funding them uh, you know, have really engaged in a very deliberate strategy uh, to try to create all kinds of distractions to, you know, make make the work for educators more difficult. Um, but then also, you know, generate made up evidence that says, hey, somehow, you know, public schools are not succeeding. And so therefore, uh, kids need to go to private schools and we need to shift resources, you know, to privatization instead. So that's been that's been kind of the undercurrent for for a while. What we've seen in the last year or two is that now, I think especially as they realize that all these education reform uh, proposals that have been implemented going back to No Child Left Behind have not worked. And in fact, have have made things worse. Uh, they've shifted gears a little bit and instead they've turned to scapegoating based on race based on gender, based on sexual orientation, really injecting these culture war issues into the public education space uh, in order to try where they had failed before to get uh, this undermining of confidence in, in public education and public schools. At a time when 90% of Ohio's kids are still attending public schools and the vast majority of parents still believe that their uh, child's teachers and their child's um, schools are doing a good job for them, you know. So, so this is all part of of a, an organized effort to try to uh, make life difficult for people working in schools, uh, so that they can push this privatization agenda. And I think 
our members are feeling the impact of that. Uh, in some cases, it's, you know, they don't see it directly, uh, but it's this insidious, you know, plan that that's really kind of playing out and I think has, has been very challenging. So that means that it's even more important than it ever was before that we're organizing and that we're standing up and we're really making the case why public education is so important, uh, why we need to fight for fully and fairly funded schools, and why we need to fight against expansion of vouchers and other privatization schemes. Really, that's the thrust of a lot of our our messaging, a lot of our work together as we move forward is making the case for why public education matters. You know it's the heart of it all. I know it's the heart of it all. But we have to really stand together with our united voice to tell the world why public education matters as our way to push back against some of these attacks on public education. Um, One of the things we've touched on quite a few times already in this conversation is the issue of dignity and respect for educators. It it strikes me that a a couple of weeks ago, we had a podcast guest on who retired in 2014 because he says, uh, you know, things had gotten pretty hostile from the state. And he actually came back into teaching last year at a time when I think it's gotten way more hostile and way harder to be an educator. How do we combat that? And what does it look like when we do have dignity and respect for the educators that they have earned? Well, you know, every day I have an opportunity to talk with members, and especially this time of year when a lot of people are retiring and kind of looking back on their their careers in education uh, and doing some reflection, um, what almost across the board I hear is that what keeps people going is the fact that they know they're making a difference in the lives of their students. It's those personal interactions, uh, those relationships that they're creating and that they're cultivating uh, to really help kids learn and thrive and grow. And in the process, making relationships with the families of those those students uh, that really keeps people going. And so I think, being centered on that, on that relationship between the educator and students, uh, between education support professionals, you know, who play such an important role in our schools uh, and the students that that they serve uh, and the relationship between schools and, and parents and communities uh, is a way to um, kind of, again, remind ourselves, despite all the noise, despite all the attacks, uh, that the work that we do really, really does matter. People get frustrated when they feel like their voice isn't listened to. Uh, they get frustrated when they don't feel like they have the support of their local administration. They feel very frustrated when they feel like politicians are imposing laws on them rather than listening to them and giving them the support that they need. Um, that bottom line issue of dignity and respect, I think, is is so critical. Um, and I think the, the more people are able to focus on what's happening in the classroom, in that connection with kids, uh, you know, the, the more clear it is. But we do have a lot of work to do. Uh, and as an association, you know, I, I think we've been taking every opportunity that we can uh, to celebrate the education profession, to celebrate the adults who work in our schools, uh, to put a spotlight on great teaching and learning that's happening every single day in classrooms all across the state of Ohio and all 88 of our counties and all 611 of our school districts. 
and and also to remind our members that the best way to get reinforcement and support is by leaning on each other. Um, the reason that we exist as a union uh, is that we are able to provide those support and relationships to get people through the tough times. And I hear over and over again that people are really appreciative of the way the union, the way our union, our organization uh, helps connect them to their fellow educators and, and make them realize that that they're not in this alone. And, and when we're working together with other people who share our values, uh, there's nothing that can stop us. Yeah, definitely not in it alone. And in fact, 120,000 strong to achieve our vision for the excellent public schools that every child deserves. How important is it at a time when society feels fractured, when there are divisions, manufactured divisions, amped up divisions for those cheap political points with these culture war issues, that we find our common ground and we speak as one for the things we need for our schools? It's absolutely essential. Um, we know that uh, in order for students to be successful, uh, they need support. Uh, they need uh, to have reasonable class sizes uh, and access to the latest technology and a well-rounded curriculum and a complete and honest education uh, that doesn't whitewash our history and doesn't uh, somehow try to indoctrinate our students into a particular political ideology uh, for the sake of, of promoting a, a particular uh, agenda that, that really takes away their ability to learn from past mistakes in order to do better uh, in the future. Um, all of these things are, are so critical. All these things are under attack. But again, we see that there is no more important uh, entity in any community than the public schools. Uh, in, in so many of our communities across the state, it is the local public school that is the uh, tie that binds everybody together. Uh, you know, whether it's the Friday night football game or, you know, the, the school play uh, or the chance for, you know, grandparents to come in and read to young children in the classroom. Um, you know, our schools are really the hubs of our communities. But we also know there's a lot of inequity in the system, and that's why we're we're advocating at the state level to make sure that we have a funding system uh, that really provides students what they need uh, in order to be successful. So, so that's a big part of our collective advocacy is to stand up for the rights of our uh, educators to teach and the rights of our students to learn, uh, but to have the resources necessary in order to ensure that everybody, regardless of their zip code, regardless of their race, or their gender, regardless of who their parents are, that every single student without exception uh, has a high quality education. Uh, we've got the right people providing that education, uh, but our members need the financial resources and, and, and need the kind of other supports in order to make sure that that vision becomes a reality everywhere. And I should add, we have the great people doing this, but we are unfortunately facing a crisis where great people are leaving the profession and we're having a, a really hard time getting new people to enter the profession. And yes, we're seeing that for teachers. We're also seeing that, I'd say, an even more acute crisis in many places for education support professionals. How many times over this past school year have we heard about 
um, bus routes that couldn't be filled because they just didn't have the staff or, you know, just really concrete examples of what is happening when we can't ensure that there are working conditions uh, and, and honestly, pay levels that speak to the respect and dignity of the profession to make sure that we can keep people in this profession. Right. And we've been we've been spending a lot of time and a lot of our focus as a union focusing on that issue, both for teachers and for uh, education support professionals. Uh, at our recent representative assembly, uh, our delegates adopted a new business item to continue moving forward with uh, the great work led by our ESP Voice Academy uh, to build a campaign, an ongoing campaign uh, for dignity and respect for uh, support staff across the state. Um, and we're already starting to see some of the, the fruits of the work uh, that had been ongoing with, with our educators, uh, in particular in this uh, budget bill that is still being debated in the state legislature. Uh, the, the House passed version of the budget would increase the state minimum teacher salary from $30,000 to $40,000. The majority of local school districts and our locals uh, we'll see a direct impact of that, where people are going to see uh, their wages increased uh, in a way that hopefully will allow us to attract more people into the profession and uh, pay people commensurate to the value of the work that they're doing. It's not where we need to be, you know, in the end, but it's an important step forward. So that kind of work, the the work, the progress that we're making on on uh, school funding, uh, again, we got a real positive. Uh, budget coming out of the house in terms of implementing uh, the next phase of the fair school funding plan. Uh, we know we're getting some pushback in the Senate, and so we're going to have to continue to be politically active and, and engage with legislators from both parties in order to get this over the finish line. Um, those are all like critical pieces. And then we're working, you know, on a on a you know looking at more specific policies uh, that related to apprenticeships for example, and paying student teachers and taking away, taking away financial barriers for entry into the profession and providing more systemic ways of, of assessing working and learning conditions and, and providing tools for improvement on those things. All of this is central to what we do because in the end, we wanna ensure that every single educator in the state of Ohio is supported and respected and most importantly, that every single student has a high quality education that allows them to achieve and reach their dreams. And that's why public education matters. That's what we're telling the world because the world, I, I think most people are already on our side, but we have to really help them understand why public education matters so much. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, this is my 32nd year in the education profession. Uh, I'm a high school social studies teacher. Uh, I chose to become a high school social studies teacher because I wanted my students to be better citizens, uh, to give them the problem solving and decision making and critical thinking skills uh, that would allow them to function uh, in this crazy world that we live in. Um, and that's really fundamental to building a strong democracy. If you have a well-educated citizenry, uh, then you will be able to have a thriving and strong democracy. Public education is absolutely essential for the future of our nation if we care about democracy. We also know that public education is absolutely critical if you care about a thriving economy. 
we want every student graduating from our public schools uh, to be able to go into the uh, career path that that is going to allow them to meet their potential and and achieve their goals. Um, and of course, if you have a well-educated uh, citizenry, then that means that we're going to have a thriving economy. Uh, but I think even more fundamental than either of those things is we want our students to be lifelong learners. Because in the end, uh, if we instill those that sense of, of pride and joy and creativity and imagination and ongoing desire to learn, then that just builds happiness, you know? And, and, and so there is nothing more important in our nation uh, in really creating a better future for everybody than ensuring that there is a strong public school system that every single student, regardless of where they come from, is able to attend a quality public school and get a quality public education. I could not agree more, Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your perspective. Thank you, Katie. Of course, this entire conversation about the importance of a strong democracy is against the background of a very real threat to the sacred democratic principle of majority rule, that fundamental belief in the importance of one person, one vote. In the special election on August 8th, we must use our united voice to vote no on issue one, which would shred the Constitution by allowing the minority of Ohioans to make decisions for us all. We have a lot more about that issue in episode 36 of this podcast in this season, and I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it already. I also encourage you to send me an email with ideas about what you'd like to hear on the podcast when we return for season four in the fall. The address is educationmatters at ohea.org. As always, until next time, stay well. Thank you.